It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us here on a Monday on July 4th week. Scott Foster in here with you, along with Jason Jorgensen and Susan Littlefield. Bob Brogan here also as uh, we get things ready for a short week. And that's uh, as much work as farmers have been doing to get things in. They probably could use a little bit of a holiday, but I imagine they probably won't take one, will they, Susan? I don't know, especially if Mother Nature works with them. They'll be out there side dressing and cultivating to get ahead of these weeds. Saw a lot of people doing some hilling and doing some of that stuff over the weekend, too. At least in the areas where the crops were up a little bit higher, there wasn't water sitting around. That corn looks pretty good. It does, knock on wood. Hopefully, you know, it continues to grow. Everybody I've talked to says Nebraska is the breadbasket for corn and bean production this year. So we'll see what happens come fall. Nobody grows beans like Nebraska. We do well with that. What do you got for us today, Susan? Well, coming up here at 1219, we're going to hear from Clay as he talks to the Nebraska State Veterinarian. You just talked about water, which makes you think all that standing area is growing what everybody loves to hate, and that's mosquitoes. So to talk about mm. more about West Nile and what you can do to protect your horses. Then at 1245, Alex steps in with Kate Gibson of the Water for Food Institute discussing Wi-Fi's uh, irrigation research and what's been conducted on more than 500 corn and bean fields that across Nebraska. And then at 117, we're going to hear about some things that are going on in Kansas. Kansas State University doing some research on technology, and it all depends on the age of the farmer, but there's some surprises in there. We'll bring you more of that at 117. All right, good stuff. Interesting to hear what Dr. Dennis Hughes has to say. I remember him from back in his Battle Creek days. So, uh, oh, there you go. He's been there for a while. So an important conversation there about West Nile. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. Turn it over to Jason Jorgensen, and uh, boy, I tell you, we talked a little bit about uh, young Lashley doing well early on, but he sustained it and won a PGA event. Yeah, Pretty cool. Yeah, Mitchell native Nate Lashley managed to pull off a wire-to-wire win of the PGA's Rocket Mortgage Classic outside of Detroit yesterday. Won that tournament 25-under. This doesn't happen very often. This He's just the fourth guy with Nebraska roots to ever win a PGA wow. Tour hmm. tour event. So you had, I remember watching Tom Siegman and Mark Kalkovecki yep. when I was a kid. I didn't know a whole lot about Johnny Goodman, although he's still a legend in the Omaha area. A uh, golf course name for him in that area. And he won the 1933 U.S. Open. So wow. Lashley joins those other three and it's a big deal he gets a check of 1.3 million dollars but the the deal is if you win a tournament then you get the exemption for two years so he's you'll be seeing a lot of nate nate lashley but a great story for him and uh that was cool he's got his card he's (laughs) got his card now and he's paid his dues he's been around for a long time more ways than one also at uh broke this morning you had UNK Athletic Director Mark Bowers announced that head women's tennis coach Jake Salisbury has resigned in order to be the recreational coordinator for the city of Lexington. Also sounds like Jake will be coaching the uh, Lexington tennis team in the future. All right. Good stuff. All right. Thank you very much. Bob Brogan, what do we got going on in financials today, sir? Stocks are gaining on U.S.-China trade truce. Stocks are higher at midday after the U.S. and China agreed to resume trade talks, so that's kind of some good news there. OPEC appears ready to extend its current deal to cut production for nine months as the oil cartel faces a weakening outlook for demand 
because of waning global growth. Those are some of the stories we're watching. All right, that's all coming up. Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. Follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts this summer, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. It has a custom hood, tinted windows, and spray-on bed liner. Thanks to the following sponsors, you could be bringing it home to your driveway this September. Boz Garage, Arapahoe and Fall Motor Company. Cambridge, Eustace Body Shop, Eustace Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln, Central Valley Irrigation, Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney, CHS, Creating Connections to Empower Agriculture, SureTop Angus and Charlay, Farnham, Nutrient Ag Solutions, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, Lexington Regional Health Center, Lexington, Cornerstone Bank, member FDIC, with 42 locations serving Nebraska. Find more on the Fun and Games page at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at our weather and what's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, Paul Perkins joining me here as a pretty hot weekend, but things cooling down a little bit. Yeah, just think about it. Last weekend, we had record cool daytime highs on Sunday, and a week later, 40 degrees warmer for daytime highs, with highs in the mid to upper 90s across the area. Go figure. <laughs> it's it's weird, <clears throat> wacky weather year for sure. I just saw on here that uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, had five feet of hail. Oh, my. They you know, I, I saw some pictures of that. Scooping. Yeah. Wow. It was, and yeah, it was bad. Holy cow. I couldn't believe how much. <laughs> Imagine going on. You finally saved up enough money to go mm-hmm. on a vacation to Guadalajara, and you get five feet of hail. I mean, and it was bad. I mean, there were, it was drifted everywhere. Yes. I mean, it was going to take a while for that to get rid of. Does I anybody imagine. own a scoop shovel in, uh, yeah, in Guadalajara? Yeah, exactly. yeah. So it's a weird. Or it's a snowplow weird, or whatever, yeah. Right. For sure. For sure. But in our area, uh, things starting to cool down. Not quite as warm as what we've been experiencing over the weekend. This heat wave starting to let up. Right now, temperatures, for the most part, in eastern Nebraska and then into southern Nebraska on into the low and mid-80s. We have some low and mid-80s also over northern Kansas. That cold front starting to nudge its way a little bit further to the southeast. You can see some temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s from Broken Bow. On into north uh, north central Nebraska, temperatures right now into the 60s in the Nebraska Panhandle. Some very varying amounts of clouds across the area. It looks like most of the sunshine over south central and southeastern areas of Nebraska, but fair amount of clouds along the northwest of the line from Columbus down to Lexington and the McCook area, and also into northwest Kansas. That heat wave letting up today is that high-pressure ridge and a weak cold front sank to the southeast. Thunderstorms will be possible for this afternoon and tonight across the central and western areas. Some of these storms could be severe, but mainly now into northeast Nebraska. That's where a slight risk of severe storms is in, pl- in place for the storm prediction by the Storm Prediction Center. Previously, central and southwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas were included in that slight risk for storms. Now, that slight risk for severe storms into northeastern areas of Nebraska. That front will sag further to the southeast for tomorrow into Wednesday. That will drop your temperatures to more seasonal levels and continue the risk of thunderstorms. Independence Day through the weekend, thunderstorm chances will continue. Not going to be a washout, though, for the Independence Day holiday. That front, though, 
will be more to the southeast, and temperatures will be slightly cooler than normal for Friday through the weekend. Looks like Independence Day is still about normal for this time of year. The cooler trend looks to continue in our long-term forecast in Nebraska and Kansas. Seasonal to slightly cooler than normal temperatures are forecast this weekend through July 14th. The chances remain good for above-normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 14th, especially this weekend and early next week. Key weather factors impacting market trade include varying amounts of rain over the, over the Midwest and favorably hotter, drier weather for the southern plains during their wheat harvest. The next several days, loosely organized thunderstorms will occur near a series of weak cold fronts across the plains and Midwest. Some of the heaviest rain should fall across the northern plains and upper Midwest. Some cool weather in the northern sections of the Rockies and plains will contrast with warm, humid weather in most other parts of the country. Above normal temperatures across the Midwest this week will favor crops still behind in development. Wet weather with cooler temperatures, though, expected for the western and north central Midwest in the 6 to 10 day forecast. For the southern plains, drier and hotter weather in the next five days will benefit ripening wheat and harvest. Weather in the northern plains remaining mostly favorable for developing corn, soybeans, and spring wheat with variable temperatures and some periods of rain. The Canadian prairies, though, will be cooler this week. That's where crop development is behind normal, and there's also concern with those crops being far behind in development about fall frost. Mm, yeah, boy, that would be a mess. If we had an early frost, that would really be rough for yeah. uh, folks. Yeah, and but of course, yeah, further north you go, that's definitely an issue. Mm. But right now, a little bit of light and rain trying to get squeezed out of the clouds towards Ogallala into northeast Colorado. And once again, that's kind of where that front is as it's starting to nudge its way into the region, and that will gradually cool things down. and. And partly to mostly cloudy skies across the area right now. So if you can avoid a thunderstorm, uh, it's probably going to be pretty pretty nice uh, July 4th. Exactly, yeah. All this week looking pretty good. Uh, back to a little more normal-like temperatures for this time of year, even though we do expect temperatures being to the 90s to around 100 in July. But usually in central Nebraska this time of year, we're in the mid to upper 80s for our usual daytime highs. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. This is Vice Chancellor Mike Bain. Join me Saturday mornings at 9.30 for the weekly IANR update right here on 880-KRVN. Well, it's no doubt that 2019 has been a wet year, and with more moisture means more mosquitoes. With more mosquitoes means a higher probability for West Nile virus. What does West Nile virus mean for you and your livestock? That's our main question here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton, and who better to help answer this than Dr. Hughes, Nebraska State Veterinarian. And Dr. Hughes, thank you again for being able to join us today. As we get started here, what is your outlook right now for the West Nile season here through the summer months? Well, you're correct in that we've had an extremely wet spring so far, uh, and mosquito population is uh, probably building up uh, as the uh, spring progresses into summer. Uh, We anticipate a a heavy year for mosquito population. Consequently, West Nile virus uh, transmission from mosquitoes into uh, uh, horses, other livestock, and, of course, humans. And, of course, when we think West Nile virus, what is the probability? Is it is it a certain type of mosquito that carries the virus, or what is the probability of somebody or an animal coming, or more specifically livestock, coming in contact with it? Oh, we don't know a probability, uh, quite honestly. It, it's just kind of one of those things where, uh, you know, the more mosquitoes, 
the higher the probability you would anticipate. Uh, of course, the virus is initially uh, uh, carried by birds. Uh, mosquitoes bite birds, carry the virus in, and, and turn around and, and bite uh, horses, other animals, and humans. So the disease is transmitted uh, through that route. So it's a combination of different factors that contributes to the actual how severe the outbreak or how severe the problem might be. The Nebraska Department of Agriculture released a press release encouraging horse owners to consider a West Nile virus vaccine. Does West Nile primarily afflict horses or can it really affect any livestock? West Nile will affect many different species of livestock. Uh, we've seen West Nile diagnosed in cattle, sheep, goats, dogs in the past. Uh, uh, last year uh, we were surprised by some of the animals that had West Nile that uh, previously had not been diagnosed in uh, Nebraska. The vaccine is specifically made for horses. It's very effective, very efficacious. If horse owners administer the vaccine and booster it as needed before mosquito season, the vaccine will do a, an excellent job of protecting horses from West Nile. Again, you can read the press release from the Nebraska Department of Agriculture on West Island vaccinating horses right at ruralradio.com. That out for our listeners. Dr. Hughes, unfortunately, though, there will still be West Nile cases more than likely diagnosed this year. What are the signs to be watching for to know if your livestock has West Nile? Well, initially, uh, you know, animals may run a, a, a low-grade fever, but particularly it turns into what we call encephalitis, which means that uh, they develop symptoms of uh, uh, they lose appetite, they're depressed. You know, horses particularly get uh, drowsy. They may see muscle twitching, a lack of coordination. They will eventually go down with uh, paralysis and succumb. The horses early on in the course of disease can be treated symptomatically if you catch them early, and treatment has been somewhat successful with the support of therapy. Uh, basically, they have to weather the viral encephalitis, but the consequences of being down prone are, are not good on horses. Uh, they don't handle being down for any period of time, like many other animals. But uh, some horses can be successfully treated if you catch them early. That again, Nebraska State Veterinarian Dr. Hughes. When you want the latest in ag news, market information, and livestock health, make sure to follow, like, and listen to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in here with me in studio. And, uh, boy, the more I learn about it, the more I like the story of Nate Lashley and what he's gone through. And you're going to give a little more information on that as we Yeah, go. and the uh, whole nation knows at this point. But Mitchell native Nate Lashley managed to pull off a wire-to-wire win at the PJ's Rocket Mortgage Classic just outside of Detroit after getting into the field as an alternate. He closed with a steady 270 for a 25 under total and a six-stroke victory yesterday. Now, before this weekend, he was ranked 353rd in the world, but he picked up his first tour victory despite failing to qualify. And he talks about how he approached the final round with a big lead. I mean, it was, you know, the first few holes up to, you know, I, it was pretty much nerve-wracking almost the whole day until the last couple holes. But, um, you know, getting off that hot start was really nice. With birdie in one and birdie in three, that kind of calmed me down a little bit, and I was able to just kind of 
you know, go steady from there and just focus on, you know, getting on the green and, and making pars. Now, Lashley has had some adversity in his life. If you remember, his parents and girlfriend at the time were killed in a plane crash 15 years ago when they were traveling back to the Scottsbluff area. He dabbled in real estate after graduating from the University of Arizona. He actually quit playing professional golf several years ago and then resumed playing in the PGA Tour's minor leagues. Now, prior to yesterday, only three other Nebraska natives had ever won a PGA Tour event. They included Johnny Goodman, Tom Siegman, and Mark Kalkovecchio. Well, UNK Athletic Director Mark Bauer announced today that head women's tennis coach Jake Salisbury has resigned in order to be the recreation coordinator for the city of Lexington. Lexington native is the winningest coach in school history, racking up 327 victories over the past 10 years. Salisbury helped turn UNK into a conference and regional power, taking each team to the NCAA tournament eight times. Assistant coach Scott Shafter has been named the interim head coach moving forward. Well, the slumping Cubs hope to get right as rookie Edbert Elzani starts against Pittsburgh. Now, Chicago has dropped three of four and finished June at 14 and 15. That's their first losing month since May of 2017. And the Blue Jays will play a rare matinee game as part of Canada Day festivities as they're taking on Kansas City in the finale of that four-game series. This is the first Canada Day game for rookie Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and it will come a day after he joined the Home Run Derby field for next week's showcase in Cleveland. The 20-year-old Guerrero will become the youngest player ever to participate in the Derby, edging out Ken Griffey Jr. when he first appeared in 1990. And remember Mark Rippon, former Super Bowl hero for uh, the Washington Redskins? Well, he's been arrested in Washington State on suspicion of domestic violence. He's facing a charge of fourth-degree assault. 56-year-old was processed in the Spokane County Jail last night and was awaiting a court appearance. Now, he announced last year that he believes he has CTE from repeated concussions while playing in the NFL. He believes this condition has caused him to have erratic and violent behavior as well as depression. He also was the lead plaintiff among 4,500 former players who won a settlement against the NFL back in 2013. That is a... Sad story. It really is. And and you see, unfortunately, you see a lot of those stories. I watched the story about Junior Seau a few weeks ago. That's that's hard to see. I remember when I was at the Hall of Fame ceremonies mm-hmm. uh, three, four years ago, and you'd see these legends get up, and those were broken men. They really were. They were really, broken men. They pay an ultimate price for they doing were. what they did. That's so. Check of Sports. For more, you can find that anytime at krvm.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right. Thank you, sir. Hi, I'm Dewey Nelson, and we moved our South Pacific trip with Colette Guided Touring to January 21st of 2020. Explore the Great Barrier Reef, visit the glacial fjords on New Zealand's South Island, cruise Sydney Harbor, meet Australia's wildlife up close, and discover the wonders of Aboriginal culture. To learn more, visit krvn.com or call 800-581-8942. Again, 800-581-8942. It's why they travel. Colette. KRBN News. The National Weather Service has confirmed that five tornadoes touched down in eastern Nebraska. When the story breaks, we're on it. The Nebraska County will seek further review of the $28.1 million judgment awarded to six people who were wrongfully convicted of murder. Depend on the KRBN Newsroom. Her radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krbn.com. I'm Bob Brogan. I'm Scott Foster. I'm Dave Schroeder. News is what we do. 
And look at that. We got Dave Schroeder in here. What a, how did that work out sometimes? <laughs> I made it in here. You did, and, and, and we just had an ad saying your name, so that works out good. So yes. uh, big travel for the weekend always, but they're saying this one uh, may say some, set some records. Absolutely, absolutely, for a number of different reasons. With travel uh, this holiday period expected to reach record levels, Coupled with devastating flooding in the Midwest experience this spring, there still is a number of road closures, though, to be aware of, along with detours. Rose White, the public affairs director for AAA Nebraska, explains that websites motorists can access to find the latest information on both route changes and tourism stops along the way. It's very important that you stay abreast of the latest bridge and road closures, especially after our Midwest floods. For the latest information on closures due to flooding or roadway construction, visit in Nebraska. 511.nebraska.gov. There you'll find a very helpful downloadable app that'll be an essential tool as you travel. In Iowa, 511ia.org is a site to visit. And for those heading to Missouri, modot.org. Two sites to visit before you plan your holiday adventure include visitnebraska.com and outdoornebraska.gov. Well, due to the high volume of traffic, White reminds all motorists to always turn on their headlights, lock their doors, and wear their seatbelts. A driver died after his vehicle crashed in southeastern Seward County. It occurred around 11.15 a.m. yesterday, less than a mile south of Milford. The state patrol says the vehicle ran off a county road into a ditch, killing the 64-year-old man. He's been identified as David Ahrens, who lived in Martell. A teenage boy accused of shooting to death, a 32-year-old man in Grand Island, has pleaded not guilty. Hall County District Court records say a lawyer for the 16-year-old entered written pleas. The charges, first-degree murder and use of a firearm to commit a felony. A September trial was scheduled, but court records don't yet show that a final decision has been made on whether the boy's case will be moved to juvenile court. Police say he killed Vincent Ariano Jr., who died at a hospital on April 24th after being found by officers. Two Kansas lawmakers are encouraging teachers to incorporate culturally relevant studies into their lessons plan. The Topeka Capital Journal reports that Democratic Representatives John Acala and Valdinia Wynn have spearheaded the Kansas Culturally Relevant Pedagogy Summer Intensive Program. Alcala helped create the initiative after noticing a lack of representation of various ethnic groups in history, as well as textbooks. The four-week program teaches Kansas educators about culturally relevant pedagogy. And that's an update of the news. I'm Dave Schroeder. And Scott, uh, I know where you're getting, before you go to that, uh, I, uh, I missed the uh, cough switch. I hit the wrong button, so I apologize for that. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. That's why we're live here. You just, you never know what you're going to get. So, uh, don't take a big swig of Coca Cola before you come in here, too. Bad Absolutely. things happen. But I'm looking at this. Kansas culturally relevant pedagogy summer institute. That's a that's a that's a big long uh, word. That's a, the right sentence. there. That could take the four weeks right there just to get that all down. <laughs> so we'll see if that works. All right, thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. This is Alex Wojcicki with the Rural Radio Network. Join me every other Thursday for the Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. We hear from entrepreneurs from across the state to learn about their businesses. But more importantly, we learn about their journeys and how they got to where they are today. Interested in entrepreneurship? 
Join us to learn more about the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln every other Thursday at 1219 right here on 880-KRVN. And if you missed the program, you can listen to the podcast at ruralradio.com. Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm joined by Kate Gibson. She is the project manager with the Water for Food Global Institute. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. We're going to talk today about this. Um, pub- you recently published findings on irrigation research. First of all, 30,000-foot perspective, what was this research about? Right. So what this research was about, we really wanted to see how growers are doing in terms of the irrigation that they're uh, applying compared to how much they should be applying based on their field-specific soil type, climate type, crop type, all of these factors to see how are we doing, are we doing well, what's the room for improvement. Absolutely. So walk us through then how you guys decided to conduct this study. Yeah, so this has been a long-term work in progress. Um, I was working with uh, Professor Patricio Grassini at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And Patricio has been working with growers across the state for about 10 years now. So the data used in this study was all collected by survey. And we combined that with a powerful uh, crop model developed at UNL. And that's how we were able to really compare. So we hear people talk about irrigation and it being you know, it's the largest use of water in the state, but are people really using more than they should? We didn't really have the data before uh, to know if that was the case. So we were able to get data from producers who were kind enough to fill out surveys for us, and then we can compare it using these biophysical parameters to see, are we really using more or not? And what we found was that about a third of the growers were really using the right amount of water. They were achieving high yields without using excess irrigation. So generally, they're doing a great job. Uh, there is some room for improvement, and there are some ways I can talk about to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about that, ways, yeah. ways producers can improve and how they know that they can improve. Right. So one way that uh, we mentioned in this study is by fine-tuning irrigation scheduling. So we looked at three different kind of categories of irrigation scheduling. So using the best available technologies and techniques, ranging to pretty basic irrigation scheduling, maybe a fixed calendar date, looking in a neighbor's field. And what we saw was that fields that were using the best available technologies, that might be a crop model, a water balance approach, in-field soil moisture sensors, those fields were, again, achieving pretty much close to yield potential with very little or no excess irrigation. Meanwhile, fields that were using the basic technique, um, not a whole lot involved in the irrigation scheduling, they ended up using about four extra irrigation events. So that's a significant amount of money and extra water applied that um, didn't contribute to their yield because the most striking finding was that between these two categories of irrigation scheduling, the yield was statistically the same. So you can achieve, that shows us that you can achieve this high yield without having excess irrigation. And something unique that was mentioned is in this report is that you guys use data from real fields. I mean, this wasn't something that was just generated. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's what's really exciting about working in Nebraska, to be honest, is that we have growers willing to work with us. Um, a lot of places around the world are super envious because they don't have actual field-level data. And so what you're working with instead are field trials, which are great, but they don't always represent reality because you have a lot of controls going on. 
So it was awesome to look at what's actually happening on the ground and compare it to our model, which was great. So looking to the future then, you, you, you mentioned that this was a long uh, research process. What's next for you guys? Yeah. Um, so I was talking to Alex earlier and I mentioned that this work was actually part of my master's work at UNL. Um, now I am working at the Water for Food Institute, which I'll mention uh, funded this work along with the Nebraska Corn Board and Soybean Board. Uh, we're actually working on kind of a similar concept now. So we're looking at the same idea of benchmarking. But now what we're doing is we've built um, a dashboard along with Patricio Grassini in the UNL Agronomy Department. Um, and this is working with the NRDs, keeping data anonymous and confidential. But we're building this online dashboard that will show growers how well they're doing for their soil type and climate compared to similar uh, fields in the area. Basically seeing how well you're doing compared to your neighbor without actually knowing what your neighbor is doing. So that's an exciting project we're working on with several NRDs. Um, and we hope to have it available relatively soon to growers so they can log on, they get a score that tells them you're doing really well for water, nitrogen, yield, water use efficiency, nitrogen use efficiency, or maybe you're not doing so hot and there's some room to improve there. You've mentioned that you guys work with the various NRDs across the state. How Do you guys work with Extension at all? Yeah, so Patricio does have an Extension appointment. Um, and really the utility in a lot of this benchmarking is for the Extension work. And that you can kind of see and prioritize where are the areas for Extension and outreach. So we kind of see this benchmarking framework as a way to prioritize those kinds of efforts. As we round out this conversation, Kate, is there anything that we missed that would be important to talk about? I think that covers it. We're really excited about it, and we're happy to tell really what I think is a pretty positive story about ag, that a lot of folks are doing a great job, um, and the room for improvement is it's there, but a lot of people are doing a really great job of managing their water. That's always a great thing to hear. Thanks so much, Kate, for joining us. That was Kate Gibson. She is the project manager at the Water for Food Global Institute discussing their recent irrigation research findings. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at the financial markets for today. And uh, we start with the overnights in, uh, the, across the world. The big four, the Japanese Nikkei, was up a lot, 463 points. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 78. London's FTSE was down, up, excuse me, 72. And the German, the DAX index there in Germany, was up 123 points. So these stocks being buoyed a little bit by at least a potential for good trade talks. The Dow Jones Industrial Averages here in the United States up 55, the NASDAQ up 71, and the S&P is up 15. And we turn it over to Bob Brogan for a little bit more on this. There's some bounce today. The U.S. and China have agreed to resume trade talks. The U.S. agreed to hold off on imposing new tariffs on $300 billion in Chinese goods. Although existing tariffs on $250 billion of imports remain in place. Technology and consumer-focused companies led the gains. Apple rose 2.2%, while Nike gained 2%. Meanwhile, spending on U.S. construction projects fell in May, the first drop in six months, as home building fell for a fifth straight month. The Commerce Department says spending fell 8 tenths percent in May, the first decline since a drop in November to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of $1.29 trillion. 
OPEC appears ready to extend its current deal to cut production for nine months as the oil cartel faces a weakening outlook for demand because of waning global growth. Member country representatives are meeting today at the organization of the uh, the organization of the petroleum exporting countries headquarters in Vienna, and will hold talks with non-member producing states on Tuesday. A new report says a June survey of business supply managers suggests economic growth will continue over the next three to six months in nine Midwest and Plains states. Creighton University economist Ernie Goss oversees that survey. He says weak farm income produced partially by tariffs and flooding pulled regional growth below that of the nation. But uh, he's still saying that uh, economic growth is likely to continue. So uh, the report, the Mid-America Business Conditions Index, rose to 55.4 last month from 54.3 in May. The April figure was 55.9. So some positives to uh, to look at there. Those are some of the things we're taking a look at today. Well, good to hear some of that positive news, and hopefully the economy will continue to stay strong in uh, the Midwest region. Uh, one of the big losers right now in the stock market is Cody Incorporated. They are a uh, personal uh, beauty regimen uh, business, something that Bob and I have absolutely no experience with and uh, i'm speaking to speaking for myself that's why i have a good face for radio that's right we both do so uh they were big losers today they're getting investigated for some uh securities fraud so they are down 15 points right now that will put things low that's for sure well thanks bob appreciate it that's our business for today Adapting to farm technology. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. A question put forth by K-State. Does a farmer's age influence his or her interest in adopting new cropping technology? Well, that was one of many questions from K-State agricultural economists that they sought in an answer to a new analysis of the generational impact on farm management. Using Kansas Farm Management Association data from the past seven years, K-State's Beth Yeager and her team are trying to identify trends in precision farming technology adaption relating to the generation for farming represents. We're interested in, okay, is it actually younger farmers are possibly adopting these technologies sooner, adopting more of the technologies? If there's multiple operators on the farm, do they adopt technologies differently than those that are sole proprietorship? And then one of the things that, especially related to millennials, is if we think about this younger generation, um, many of them may have gone to college, they've taken courses where they've learned more about these technologies. When they come back to the farm operation or when they start their own farming operation, are they more likely to adopt these new technologies as well? And this analysis is specifically interested in adoption decisions for eight primary decision technologies. So we're looking at automated guidance, automated section control, a combine yield monitor, both with and without GPS. We also have included grid soil sampling, light bar guidance, and variable rate fertility, as well as variable rate seeding. Now, the study isn't yet intense to dig deeper into the numbers and what they're saying. Preliminary, though, she says it's clear that those farms with a younger presence in management decisions are more prone to investing in technologies. 
those that had the multiple generations and especially the multiple generations that included millennials were more likely to adopt the technologies. The other really cool avenue with this research project is the impact it might have on agribusinesses and manufacturing firms as they're looking at, okay, who are we going to target these technologies to? You know, we know that these younger farmers are more likely to adopt technology sooner or quicker and they might be more excited about it possibly than others. And so I really think this is huge in terms of marketing and where machinery and implement dealers can really look at, okay, who's our target audience here who actually is using these technologies, adopting these technologies, and where are they getting their information from? And then being a little bit more minded of that as they are targeting that generation. Taking this one further, one of those researchers, Alex Shanayan, is looking into how rapidly the various generations adapt technology. There are different groups of people who are adopting in different stages. Some people adopt it right away. Others wait until a year or two passes before they buy once it's on sale. So it starts with innovators. Those are the early groups. And then early adopters. And then early majority. And then late majority. And then the laggards will be the last group of people who adopt the technology. Ada's colleagues are testing out some common presumptions about crop technology adoption as they conduct the analysis. The general preconception is that usually the younger people tend to be more of an early adopters or early majority. But what is interesting is that within each age group or generation group, they also might be early adopters or late adopters or early majority. The researchers hope to have the final report put together very soon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And, John, the selling seemed to spill over from Friday back into today, but really it was a wheat-led drive down today. Yeah, wheat's been really dog here, and it looks... Toppy. Uh, the charts are, are, you know, we're up here at five dollars um, for the Chicago still, and that is expensive, you know, relative to where the Russians are offering prices. So, without corn pushing it, it's, it, you know, we could be looking at a pretty good fall here. Um, you know, without knowing the story, you look at the monthly charts, long-term charts of corn. You really, you know, don't. We're still close to the high, you know. So there's a lot to fall, a lot more room to go if this thing would have reason to go. I don't see the reason. I mean, it's very difficult for me to uh, understand why uh, the market's doing what it's doing, but it's a momentum trade right now, and we're essentially uh, already broken last month's lows. So um, kind of a crazy couple of days here uh, with, with the holiday weekend upon us. Uh, volume will drop, and then that could cause even more volatility. Um, you know, we 420 corn, so we're there. We're in the gap, and i uh, like to think that we can stay here, but we get some bad news tonight from crop progress combined with uh, the USDA report next week not showing anything, uh, we, could, we could see this thing back off a little bit. And then as we look as well, the USDA saying they're going to resurvey and try to get out some different acreage numbers, but we won't see that until August. So that's more than 30-plus days without data. Does that kind of make the market nervous? Well, we will get the USDA report on the 11th, and that's kind of the kick save here. And I think it's important to note that when, you know, the USDA has two statistical agencies. I think they maybe have more than two, but the, the folks who do the report a week ago or last Friday are not the folks who do the WASDE report. So the confusing factor I have is when you have the, 
you know, the one report show acres being cut, and then the next report not. I think that the trade's just confused right now, throwing the throwing momentum. I mean, margin is an issue. If anybody understands what I'm talking about, been on a margin call, like you have to act. And when the market continues to fall, the producers are simply going to sell it. Anybody who's long is simply going to sell it just to end the pain. So um, we could easily see a kickback tonight. You get a you know a bullish crop progress report that kind of reminds everybody how bad things are. Uh, they have been bullish the last three to four four weeks now. So, um, you know, we're looking for, I think, a slight improvement in the good excellent ratings. So there's some opportunity there tonight to, to see a retracement higher. Um, I would say 450 if you're looking for a, a place to sell some corn. December at 450 would be a good spot to do it. Uh, might be a couple of weeks till we get back that high, even with bullish data. And again, John Payne with Daniel's Ag Marketing. For more information, you can visit their website. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Again, danielsagmarketing.com. And you can catch a recap of our conversation today just by visiting ruralradio.com and going to the podcast tab. We're going to settle mostly lower on all of our grain contracts. But again, Kansas City Wheat seems to be the one dipping the lowest. Well, I'll do it for our midday program today for July 1st on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on KRVN, Twitter, and our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.